Hello, I'm Andrew Decker, and this is Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. This is episode one. That's what we're calling this episode. Last time was our pilot. We said we're amateurs. We literally thought we were doing the first one twice. Uh, But this is episode one, and welcome, and we'll get right to it. Good afternoon. I'm Andrew Decker here in the office with Andrew Harris. Afternoon, everybody. We are putting together a podcast called Texas, well, Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. And this is our first episode. Uh, We decided to start with something simple, and that is an introduction, uh, an interview with the brainchild of this development, Andrew Harris. So um, I'm going to ask him some questions. Some of these he kind of knows, some of these he does not know are coming. Uh, but hopefully it'll be fun and get you to know a little bit about him. And then in our next episode, he'll interview me uh, before we actually get into the actual podcast series itself. So um, let's just start with something simple. Andrew, where do you come from? Well, uh, that, that is uh, somewhat simple, I guess, uh, although I'm still nervous and I don't know why. Um, I was raised in Missouri City, Texas, just southwest of Houston, um, went to Texas A&M University, graduated there in 2000, and then went up to Massachusetts for law school. Um, why, why would you want to go to Massachusetts uh, yeah, for law school? I know, and leave the great state of Texas. Well, thing is, growing up, I never traveled outside uh, the state of Texas, and I always felt like I um, had lost something in my youth without having that experience. I really wanted to see what life was like somewhere else. I figured it's only three years. It's temporary. If I don't like it, I can come back. And that's exactly what I did. I came screaming back to Texas uh, because I missed it so much. Well, welcome home. Yeah, thanks. It is good uh, to be home. There's no place like Texas. I guarantee that. Um, While I was in law school, I interned in the um, Harris County DA's office in Houston and really fell in love with criminal law. Thought I was going to be a career prosecutor. Uh, when I graduated in 2008, there was a, a, a big, what, recession? I don't know if you remember that. It was really hard uh, to get jobs, um, especially in the government field. Eventually, I did, though, manage to secure a job as a prosecutor in Fort Bend County, which is my home county, and I stayed there for three and a half years. And, and, and Fort Bend is, as you said, just southwest that's right. of Harris County. That's right. That's right. Um, I always so, want to put Fort Bend out near Big Bend. And nope. it's exactly the opposite end of it the is. world. Yeah. Okay. On the eastern side of the state, just southwest of Houston, in uh, county seats, Richmond, Texas. Uh, they've got a great DA's office over there uh, and, and really a, a really great um, bar association. Defense bar is really strong in that county. Uh, and I learned a lot during my time there. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so how long were you in the prosecutor's office in Fort Bend? I was there for three and a half years, uh, mainly as a misdemeanor prosecutor. Although, you know, as a misdemeanor prosecutor, you just covet trials. So I tried to get as many felony trials as possible um, and, and really just tried to, to, to learn as much as I could while I was there. Um, I also served in the juvenile division, uh, picked up some assault family violence cases um, and uh, some, you know, obviously some probation revocations and that sort of experience. Um, just really anything that I could jump onto, I, I tried to do. Excellent. Excellent. And how many trials do you think you did in those three and a half years since you said you actually tried to get stuff to go to trial? Uh, in three and a half years, I've looked at my trial report and it's, it's anywhere 
from, I think it's around 70 trials in three and a half years. I think that's right. Now, most of those are going to be misdemeanor DWIs, thefts, possession cases. Um, so I've got, I think I had about 10 or so uh, felony level cases. Some of those are juvenile. Some of those are not um, uh, that I handled over my three and a half year career there. So that's, that makes a pretty hefty uh, trial load. That's good. Yeah, and I think that's right. I'm, I'm, I'd have to go back and look at my my trial reports again, but every week I, you try to be in trial, some contested hearing, some um, adverse type setting. Um, that's really where you learn uh, a lot um, uh, through uh, you know as a prosecutor. Okay, cool. Uh, you will find later I don't have that kind of experience, so good for you. Um, what brought you to the law? Why, why law school? Why the law? Uh, you know, I still ask myself that question. Um, no, I, it's actually something that I've wanted to do since middle school. I was really heavily involved in a church organization, uh, grew up in the Catholic Church. My father was very involved in the Knights of Columbus, and they have a youth group called the Columbian Squires uh, that I was heavily involved with. I was a state, uh, state officer, a state chief squire, kind of like the president of the uh, organization for the state. Um, and we would travel around and give uh, speeches. You know, public speaking was, was, a, was a big part of these leadership roles. And I asked my dad one day, I said, I, I really like doing this. How can I do this for a living when I grow up? And he said, just be a lawyer. And so I was like, okay. So ever since then, uh, that moment, uh, I've always wanted to be an attorney. I didn't know until law school that I wanted to be a prosecutor or in criminal law. Um, but until that moment in middle school, I had it set that I was going to be a lawyer. Well, way to go, Dad. Good yeah, advice. That's right. And he taught me everything I knew about you know, public speaking, how to write a speech, how to, how to um, raise my voice or inflect my tone and Really, everything. Uh, my dad really taught me a lot about public speaking. Way to go! Yeah, way to go, Dad. That's uh, it's always good to have have a positive male role model <laughs> in a young man's life. Um, it's the only thing he ever taught me. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I think I know better. Um, so, you decide to go to law school. You find that you want to do criminal work, and you prosecute for three and a half years. Why did you leave the prosecutor's office? I think it's only natural at some point in time, there comes a time in everybody's career, if they're in a DA's office, um, when it's either, you know, am I going to buckle down and do this for the long haul, or do I need to go and have some other work experiences? And at that point in time, in the office that I was working in, I felt like I needed some other experience uh, just to become a better lawyer, to provide better uh, standard of living for my family. And so I left the office and went to do some civil litigation, some in-house work uh, with a big corporation. And um, while that was great experience, it's just not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So why did I leave the DA's office? I think three and a half years is probably a natural amount of time for, for most prosecutors to stay at an office. Um, and then, uh, you know, if, if they make the decision to stay longer, they're probably going to be career prosecutors. Uh, and at that point in time in my life, I just, I wanted to try something different. Okay. Um, and then, so, so you end up doing some civil work, in-house, corporate civil work. That's right. Which to me sounds, well, like death. Yeah. Yeah. It's like nails on a chalkboard, right? 
and and did you find it to be or or did you enjoy it? I don't know. Uh, yeah. you, we've never really talked about that. It, it was very litigious. So um, the office that I was in handled all the legal work for everybody in the for, for this company in the state of Texas. Um, it was very motions heavy type practice. It's something I didn't really have experience in as a prosecutor. Um, and I am grateful for the experience that I had there. Um, civil law is very different than criminal law. And I've always, um, I have commented on this before, but I find it kind of disheartening that people fight harder uh, and they're more adversarial when you're dealing with money than, than when you are dealing with somebody's liberty. Um, it seems to me that individuals um, care more about money than they do their liberty. And I think that's just a really sad statement on, uh, on our society. But that's something I would not have learned if I hadn't had that experience, right? So um, I've been able to take that experience and transition it over into my criminal practice. Um, I feel like my motions and my briefs are much stronger because I've had that experience. Um, and so it's, it's an, it was not ideal for the long haul for me, not the right fit for me personally, but um, I do value the experience that I had and the relationships I had with the other attorneys that I worked with. They were some fantastic attorneys. And was all that, I, I would assume, down in the Houston area? It was in Houston, and then my last year I actually transferred up to their Dallas office, um, and my wife and I moved up to the North Texas office, which is where we met, you and right, I. So. Right. Um, we moved up to the west side of Fort Worth, and I drove into their Dallas office um, just about every day. Okay. And yeah, we end up meeting in the in the Fort Worth area uh, in in our story that's yet to come and yet to come. We're still working to get there. So, how long did you do the civil work? I was there for two years. So, one year after I left the DA's office, I was a year um, in their Houston office, and then I transferred. My last year I was in their Dallas office, and. At some point, obviously, you transitioned to do something else. What, That's what right. happened? Well, actually, um, I'm sure you can understand this. I really missed criminal law. I love the stories that we get to deal with. We do get uh, great stories. We, do, we get some fantastic stories. Um, and I really missed uh, the, the collegial setting of a, of a criminal courtroom, as, as um, odd as that may sound. Uh, I find that we are able to um, really make a difference in people's lives, and it's not—it's um, not like biting each other's heads off when we're in court with you know attorneys for the state. It can be quite collegial and and um, very—I'm losing the word—but it's a pleasant work environment. So, um, and I also wanted the challenge of owning my owning my own business. Uh, you know, as a uh, solo practitioner. I make all the decisions as far as the, the business decisions go in my practice, and I really wanted that challenge. And it has been a big challenge trying to figure out the business side um, as opposed to the legal side of my, uh, of my practice. Yeah, you end up wearing a lot of hats because you're right. figuring out how to determine what a case is worth. Uh, yep. If you're going to have an assistant, well, and where then, yeah. you're going to have an office. Uh, yeah, all those expenses, and then you get, um, you know, there's there's marketing to think about. Um, who do you, who are you going to hire to set up your website? Are you going to do it yourself? Um, who are you going to do your own uh, advertising, and what are the rules for that? I mean, there it is a big challenge. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, I gotten 
not in trouble, but I ended up having to change a picture on my website, for example, because the state bar saw obscure, blurred people in an office, and none of them were me or my staff. And they said, you can't do that. Now, it, so, yeah, it becomes a little bit hairy, just... You're like, There's, you can't do who they are. But here, and, we, here we are. And Paul. no other business... Uh, is monitored quite like that uh, whenever you're setting up your own, you know, your own website, uh, your own materials to get your name out there. Uh, but attorneys really sacrifice a lot of their First Amendment rights, um, I think, whenever they decide to go out on their own because they are watched uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty uh, heavily by the state bar. Right. And, and as long as we're all treated fairly and equally, I don't have a lot of problem with that. Um, but it, is, it does make some, some interesting kind of pieces. Uh, so you decide to set up your own shop, and you decide to set up shop in Parker County, correct? That's right. I opened my office in Parker County. My wife and I were living in Parker County, uh, still do. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Parker County, the county seat's Weatherford, Texas. It's uh, one, one county west of Fort Worth. Yeah. So we're as far from Fort Worth as Fort Worth is from Dallas, and to the rest of the world, you would think that's all one place. Right. Yeah, and it is it is not. Um, but we are west of Fort Worth. Uh, we love the town of Weatherford. My office is in downtown Weatherford. Um, it's a great community. It's a, it has treated us very well. And I initially made the decision to open my office in Fort Worth. My first office, um, actual physical location where I would go in every day was in Fort Worth, close to the courthouse. Um, and that, within my first year, flipped to, um, well, and I had a satellite office in Weatherford um, that I rarely went to, and I, within the first year, flipped those. So I started going into Weatherford primarily and then having my satellite office in Fort Worth, which is the way it is to this day. And you really like the, the, the Weatherford uh, kind of feel. In fact, I think you've told me that eventually you hope to, to – not to close your Fort Worth practice, but to really have your focus in Parker County, correct? Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I love the community of, of Weatherford, but the legal community especially, um, I know the judges, I know the county attorneys and the district attorneys, um, I know the ins and outs of practicing there. And it's just a more comfortable place for me. Um, uh, one, it's very close to my home. And the uh, just because I know, um, I feel like I'm more of an expert there than I am in, in Fort Worth. So eventually, yes, I would like to uh, focus. My focus primarily is in Weatherford, but I would like to focus uh, 100% in Parker County um, alone and not have to drive into the big city of Fort Worth every day. You know, The, the big city, That's now right. number 13. <laughs> Fort, Fort Worth's now number 13 in the nation. It's growing. It's growing. And so is Weatherford. So yeah. is Parker County. That's and, right. Um, something you know that not everybody, all of our listeners might know is that uh, per capita, Parker County has a lot fewer attorneys than Fort Worth. Um, and so the community's smaller. We can know each other. Um, and uh, But it also makes it harder to have a defined practice of criminal defense. That's right. Because just by numbers. Right there are fewer criminal cases. Yeah, and that that's changing also. So whenever you see an increase in population, you're going to see an increase in arrests and 
uh, people being charged with crimes. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, I have to travel out to even further west to Palopeno. I take cases out there. I take cases in Wise County and Johnson and Hood. Um, so really, you know, and that's not out of the ordinary for, for a lot of solo practitioners. They will go wherever the work calls them to go. Um, and it, wherever people need some help, I'm always willing um, to, uh, to travel to do that. Um, so while the goal may be to uh, stay solely in Parker County, reality is it's, um, it never is going to work out like that. Uh, I may be able to close an office in Fort Worth, but I'll never leave Fort Worth. I'm always going to take cases there and, and, and anywhere else anybody needs help. If you're willing to pay, I'm willing to travel, right? That may be, yeah. That's right. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so um, uh, all you've done is legal work. If you could do anything else, if you could do your uh, crazy harebrained idea of a job. And like make money at it? <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe. I don't know if you're going to make money. I don't know how yeah. good you'd be at it. Yeah. Uh, but if you could do anything, what would you want to do? You know, I I have always had this interest in in writing. I've just I've just never sat down to to write a book. Um, I think being a writer would be would be uh, would be an interesting calling. Um, I could do that. And if you're a writer, then you know you can do that from anywhere. And my wife and I would. I think love to get an RV and just travel around the country. Um, we are big outdoors people, so an RV, outdoor yeah, an RV. RV. Well, I mean, yeah, the RV is kind of glamping, but just to drive around and, and visit places we've never been before, okay, um, and find some way to make money while doing that, I think would be ideal. That would be great. Well, wasn't Grisham an attorney? He, yeah, but in he, I don't think he travels around. I think he stays in his little mansion in Georgia and uh, or. Virginia, wherever he's at, and um, and writes there. But he is he is an attorney. I think he still has his license, actually. So so you have a you have a mentor now. Sure. Um, you can start writing immediately, and <laughs> let me know when you get that RV so I can point and laugh. Yeah. Um, uh, that's okay though. What is in in your in what you've seen and what you've done? Maybe what's your, what's a crazy case or story that you've heard that just kind of go? I couldn't make this up. Without when, going into complete yeah. detail as to as to hurt confidentially out of a client, but well, I said earlier that we have well, the reason I love criminal law is that you just get nothing but great stories, um, and there's always no matter you know, I I tell people it's recession proof work. Like no matter what the economy is doing, people are going to be accused of things or they're going to make some bad decisions or get arrested. I mean, it's just never ending. When I was a prosecutor. You know, uh, I tried a, a ton of DWIs. One of my cases took place, you know, it's a, like the stereotypical DWI case. 2 a.m. in the drive-thru of a Whataburger, uh, and my guy is pulled over for, for or my Wait, guy. are you talking the, about my client? Defendant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that's probably a, a common theme, uh, you know, around the state and around the country. People are always found at, like, the worst time um, for, for these cases. Um, and then, you know, just some of the more interesting defenses I've had to use. One of my clients on a possession case recently, um, 
we made the argument to a jury that that the methamphetamine that was found in the pocket of his shorts was not his because they were not his shorts, um, which is something I've heard from pretty consistently uh, over the years. I've never actually used it in a jury trial um, until this past um, April, and that was a fun trial. That was that was a, a an interesting challenge for me as a as an attorney. So. Uh, from both sides, I would just I would have to say the the Whataburger in the DWI parking lot is probably my favorite story. Yeah, I've I've had a client who was arrested asleep in the Whataburger parking uh, drive-through. They fell asleep while waiting for their order because they were hungry and got arrested for DWI. But that won't be my craziest story. That's yours. Um, but I just want to make sure you weren't prosecuting my, my client. Yeah, you'll, um, you'll have to find another one. I'll have to I'm find sure a different you, one. Yeah, you've got plenty of stories. Uh, it's, what, it's why we do yeah, this job. Right. We love the stories. Um, what is a piece of advice you've been given that you thought, wow, that really is something I need to hold on to and you've taken to heart? So as an attorney, um, actually when I was an intern, I – uh, was in uh, the in Harris County at the DA's office, and the chief um, prosecutor of the court I was assigned to, his name is George Weisfish, probably one of the best um, prosecuting attorneys I've ever seen or, or worked with. Um, and the number two at the time um, is a mentor of mine. His name is Dorian Kotler, still practices uh, on the defense side now down in um, in Harris County, Houston area. And um, Dorian and George both stressed to me the importance that um, I never wave opening, right? And that's, they always said, never wave opening, never wave opening. Even as a defense attorney. Yeah, and I still say that's very important as a defense attorney. Um, One, and it it depends on the case, it depends on your skill level as an attorney, obviously, but that's something for me personally that I've always taken to heart. If I have the opportunity to make an opening, uh, for instance, a lot of judges uh, will, if the prosecution waves opening, they'll just turn to the defense and say, you can go ahead and make one if you want, um, which not supposed to do, but that's just what happens. Um, and I will take that opportunity to make an opening statement to give the jury uh, my roadmap for the case, uh, to give the jury, you know, not to spoil any surprises or anything, but just to tell them where, where I'm coming from, my state of the case. Um, as a prosecutor, that's obviously very important. Um, I would say as a prosecutor, never wave opening. But as a defense attorney, I would think you must have a very solid trial strategy before you make the determination to actually waive uh, your opening statement. And I'd say go ahead and, say, and give your opening before this, you know, right after the state gives theirs. That's the only time you get to talk last to a jury. So make sure that you're taking that opportunity to tell a jury exactly where you're coming from so that they have that fresh in their mind when the prosecution makes uh, or, or offers their first witness. So I think that's very important evidence, uh, I'm sorry, very important advice um, that I've taken to heart is never wave opening. Um, even when, you know, it, just in life in general, if I meet somebody um, for the first time, you know, I, first impressions are important, right? Clients, when they come in, I never want to... to you know, I'm using air quotes, wave opening with them. I never want to miss that opportunity to tell them what I'm all about um, or maybe some projects that are important to me. Um, I like to talk about those with other people. You never know what um, 
what opportunities will, will come up um, if you're not sharing those opportunities with other people. So I think that's just very important advice. All right, excellent. Uh, a couple more questions. Uh, these are more on the fun side of life, a little lighter, lighthearted. Uh, part of our brain trust has said that we're going to ask a few um, fun questions at the end of every interview. We haven't decided on what those officially are going to be, so Andrew is going to be caught completely off guard. Uh-oh. Uh, favorite book? Um, my favorite book is uh, Cash 22 by Joseph Heller. Okay. Um, favorite artist or band? Uh, well, the changes over time. Right now, I uh, really um, love the Avid Brothers. Also, Jason Isbell is one of my all-time favorites. Okay. Um, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? Probably Colorado. Uh, I really like the the mountains um, and the looser laws. Well, not not, not so much. <laughs> uh, Sorry, you know, I mean, it's easy. great. It's great if if that's if that's what you like to do. That, that's not really uh, what I'm into. But I just love the the outdoors aspect of it. Okay, I, I, I know you well enough to know that that it's more the outdoor question. <laughs> uh, it was just too easy to, to to kind of pick on you a little bit. And then finally, if you could tell uh, what what you would say your best advice to someone else mm. about entering law, what would it be? Hmm. Yeah, I've I've kind of had this. I've been struggling with uh, with giving advice to future lawyers uh, in the past, and that's because you know I think you have to be very clear um, about what your goals are, your career goals are before you go to law school. Law school can be extremely expensive, and for a long time, I have felt handcuffed by the loans that I have to repay. So I think my advice would be um, one: you, you know, you need to have your career goals written out and and clarified, um, be very specific about those uh, before you enter law school. Don't just do it willy-nilly um, because it can be something that that really, uh, or the loans or the, the financial part of it can be something that really sets you back, um, you know, a couple decades in trying to pay back. Um, other than that, you know, once we get past that awkward conversation about, you know, can you afford law school talk, um, you know, interests change, right? I mean, I entered law school right after college, um, and I was a kid, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? I didn't know that I wanted to be a criminal attorney. I, um, I thought going in, I'd be a real estate attorney, and I'm very glad I'm not a real estate attorney. <laughs> but interests change, and so I would say there's absolutely nothing wrong in taking some time to yourself after college, maybe get a, maybe go and uh, find a different career, save up some money so you can afford it. And then if that's the you know, the right decision for you after you take some time to, um, to think about it, to mature a little bit, um, by all means, go to, go to law school. There's nothing wrong with law school. I love being an attorney. I love my experience, my time in law school. You just need to be very clear about what your goals are. Excellent. Yeah. I think that's some good advice, some good sound advice. Finally, before we sign off, uh, you're Andrew Harith. Um, how would they find your, your office? How would they find you if somebody listening to this podcast said, that's my man, that's who I want to call, who I want to contact? 
Yeah, so um, I need to be, I also have to be very clear about how to pronounce my last name. A lot of people assume that I have a lisp because my name ends in a T-H, so it's not Harris, uh, but it is Hareth, H-E-R-R-E-T-H. Easiest place to find me, just go to my website, harrethlaw.com. Again, that's H-E-R-R-E-T-H-L-A-W.com. If you're in Weatherford, stop by. I'm close to the corner of North Main and Spring Street. It's a fantastic sandwich shop. That's real close to my uh, to my office that I frequent. So um, come on by and say hello. Give us a call if we if you need help. If we can help you in any way, um, just reach out. I'm always available. All right. So we're Andrew and Andrew on That's Texas right. Criminal Defense, uh, and thanks for listening in. And we look forward to seeing you, or actually you hearing us, next time. All right, so that wraps up episode number one of the Texas Criminal Defense Podcast. This is Andrew Harris, and I just want to say, obviously, we're going to make some mistakes throughout this process. I graduated high school in 2000, not college. Uh, so if you're sticking around long enough to, uh, to be listening to this outro, sincere apologies to all my classmates. Um, so anyways, the uh, next uh, episode, episode number two, will be dropping on the first of the month, August 1st. I, yours truly, Andrew Harris, will be interviewing Andrew Decker. Same format as this episode, but just to get a little bit more information about the hosts of the Texas Criminal Defense Podcast. We'll see you then. Uh, Don't forget to share a review, share it with your friends, like us, visit our our website at texascrimdefense.com. Our contact information is there if you want to get a hold of us, have any questions about the podcast or criminal defense. Please leave us a, a review. It really helps out. Uh, and Andrew likes to, to read all of the nice things you have to say about him. Andrew Decker, that is. We'll see you next time. Bye, y'all.